show. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. We're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water. Leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Is this show killing people? Bad, 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 bad. Something good has to be coming. I'm so proud of us. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? I have so many questions right off the bat. For those of you who are like, my God, Michelle, you're too much. Chill out. It's McDonald's fault. When will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm, this one's a challenge. Both of my eyes are twitching. Welcome to Agreement. Welcome, welcome. Our podcast. And I am Michelle. <laughs> did you say you're Michelle? Oh my God, I did. <laughs> okay, everyone. The energy is off today. I don't know why. I thought I was so prepared and on it. And this is the most off I've ever been. I'm Michelle and you're Kat. No, I'm Catherine. <laughs> and I'm Michelle. That's who we are. That's, I know, we know where, our names. We know I know things. where I am. I know my name. I do know that this is a podcast we have been doing for 45 episodes. 45. I do know this is a podcast that we have merch for now. Thank you. It is Thank amazing you. merch. I keep wearing it because I want somebody to ask me what it means. <laughs> and no one has. And I don't. Maybe that's because the whole world is listening to our podcast. So they already know. Oh, yeah. And they're all just so starstruck they don't want yeah. to come up and bother yeah, like, oh, leave her alone let her have her privacy she's a human being <laughs> no i love it thank you thank you thank yes, you to it's Robert. so amazing it's so good if anyone wants to see pictures of it same deal as my powerpoint you have to send in a grab bag and we'll send you a picture of michelle and i wearing the merch we got made so on this podcast which now has merch and 45 episodes we bring you three things every fortnight hey what are those Weird thing. A pop culture thing. And a research thing. And then we fit them together and try to tie a little bow on them. We do have an announcement, which is for many reasons, including that it is actually summer. We are going to go on summer break for a few weeks. A lot of them are really good reasons. You should be happy for us. Um, I will. I, I'm not afraid to say that one of the reasons is because the next time we record this, I will be living in Australia. Yay! And aw. In a house that I own. I bought yay! a house. I bought That's a house just EA. from the U.S. I get to go live in Australia. I'm a permanent resident. Next time you hear this voice, I'll be in Brisbane. It'll be awesome. She'll be from the future. I will be. Oh my But gosh. from the past because we pre-record. So yeah. I don't so, know exactly how that works for you. I all. probably will just become a hologram, right? That's yeah, hologram yeah, that seems sort. reasonable. Yeah. The next time you hear me, I'll be a hologram because I'm traversing time and space. So. We're going to go on a break, right? Yes. So I have some stuff to get off my chest and 
I think the fact that I wanted to get it, Michelle has a scared look. No, Michelle, this is not. What was it on vacation? I thought you said. I Disclose. Dis- I'm, I said, I'm going to go fold fold these, these clothes. clothes. And, I thought and you, you said, thought I said full disclose. I'm going full I, disclose. I'm going to go full <laughs> disclose. So, um, yes, I'm not going full disclose. I see your face. I just today I got wrapped up in a lot of things and um, I've had a fever for the past few days and um, I've been home alone. So maybe this is why that I've been cackling to myself and caring too much about various things. First off, fruit flies. Michelle, when we went on vacation, it was a lovely vacation, but there were a ton of fruit flies, right? I came home uh, to even more because I oh, came home to even rotten more. onion had uh populated my house full of them but it's uh, fruit fly time the murder so, mug worked very well i love that you call it a murder mug so I mean, that's what it is yeah so if you, <laughs> yeah as everyone should know the murder mug is watered down apple cider vinegar whatever vinegar you can get your hands on Wish some i like to soap. put some dish soap in you can also do a funnel but i came home to so many of them and the murder cup was not working they were going in it i was catching dozens of them but there were just more and more and i remembered a great trick which is when it seems like this will never end what's happening it's a full infestation do you know what the best thing to do to get rid of fruit flies at that point is like if the murder cup doesn't do it and clearly there's more and more and more is it moved to australia it's moved to australia oh, so that's okay. what i'm gonna do yep. no god the flies there are so much worse <laughs> what it is is the fruit flies and of course, they're used in like genetic testing and stuff too, because they they um, give birth and multiply so quickly at such a high rate. And if they are then, once you come home to them, there's a good chance they're in your drain, there's eggs in there, and it's just going to keep coming. And the best thing and it's the most easy thing to do, especially if you have an electric kettle, is just pour boiling water down your drain a couple times, a couple full tea kettles or electric kettles full pour it down your drain, that gets rid of them. It fixed it for me totally. Love it. Um, My next thing is that Allie, none of these are my real weird things. I'll get to it. My next thing is Allie Wong is dating Bill Hader. I just said that today. Then here's my- This is like a weird thing listicle. So there was this TikTok video that I found today and I just- could not stop watching it and could not stop laughing at it. I thought it was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. Again, maybe this is because I have a fever. I shared it with my husband and he was like, what's wrong with you? So I just want to get <laughs> hey, your wait, opinion wait. on it. I was going to say, I need to watch it. Yes, before I want to get. Before you say any more, like I need to, I need a fresh yes. take. Um, And I will put the link in the show notes, but everyone's about to hear the sound while Michelle watches it. Today is gonna be the day that the day is gonna be the day. By day, you should have someday realized that the day is today. What? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Watch it one more time. Today is gonna be the day that the day is gonna be the day. By day, you should have someday realized that the day is today. So I missed the sign at the beginning. Not that, that there's much like today narrative. That's, that's the joke, right? Like, right. That's, that's okay. the joke. Okay. I missed the joke okay. entirely the first time. So like I didn't see it. So this makes a little more sense. 
I'm going to tell you, I didn't see the joke either when I first saw it and fell in love with it. Basically, everyone just heard the sound. And what I thought was so funny about it was that sound clip, right? That's Oasis with the today is going to be the day. But then they just say it's going to be the day today is the day that's today. And that I find so funny. But then I found the clip alone and I'm like, it's not funny. I think it's the visuals, which is a man just scooting across the road and there is a joke to it, but I didn't see the joke either. And it just was so funny. And maybe it's like, um, instead of having a thermometer, we can just show people a video <laughs> and see if they laugh or not. And we'll be like, yep, yep, that's a fever. You Get have a fever. Back. Yeah, I do have a fever of 102 right now. So um, it's funny to me still. I took some aspirin. It'll lower as the show goes like, on. Wait, that's not even funny anymore. What happened? Um, and that's going to be really sad for me because it just yeah. delights me in a way that not much stuff does. And it's probably why I couldn't say my name and I thought it was you at the start of it. <laughs> so, but my actual weird thing is... Wait, none of yeah. those were your actual weird thing? No, that's just, I needed it's to just, get that okay. off my chest. Okay. Go in full disclose. Full my dis- actual <laughs> weird thing is also from our vacation, which was that I kept hearing your daughter speaking from another room and thinking it was you. Yeah, because our then- voices are like identical. Identical. And then you did the same thing. You came out and said, I thought I was hearing a recording of me, but that's my daughter. (laughs) So that was weird. And it made me think in the moment, like, you know, uh, genetics can, you know, you can look like your parents. I was like, can you sound like your parents? And is there a big genetic component to that? Which I guess you would assume there is, but then why? And like, not everyone sounds like their parents. So it's not a research thing, but I will just say very quickly that there are at least some of the vocal similarities between family members are suspected to come from shared DNA and basically just the DNA that shapes your larynx and your your vocal cords, right? That's what makes you sound like what you sound like is your vocal cords and genetics can dictate how those are shaped, um, just like any other physical characteristic of your body. But... They also think that as people who are related grow up together, it can be difficult to separate like genetic factors versus environmental factors. And there's been a ton of studies done that say our native language fundamentally shapes the way we use our vocal cords. Um, And so how our voices sound is inherently, but usually you do tend to speak the language of your parents, but not always. And so that was interesting. Well, and we have we each have an individual idiolect, which is like our own individual like lexicon and weird pronunciation tics and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we also have a family elect, which is like yeah. the 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 language and the little shortcuts and all the ways that you talk just to the people in your nuclear family, like in your household. And so I imagine that also has something to do with it too, because you probably pick up like similar cadence and. Um, mannerisms and things yeah Yeah. so yeah and then the final thing in this quick little is it genetic is that and again not surprising is that you know your voice is affected by environmental factors and emotional states but that is because when you're nervous or frightened or excited the muscles supporting your larynx can contract involuntarily and so it does actually change your voice that increased tension produces a higher and upset pitch i just want to say people love to pull out like paris hilton especially but a lot of um, women 
who have kind of deeper voices and then they'll just switch up their voice like this. Paris Hilton has a famous baby voice. And I know that that's very affected and affected, but maybe she's also just like nervous. Maybe it started because she was nervous around people and we should be nicer to Paris Hilton. So you were getting very excited while I was saying this. I just I just have to remind people that we do not know what we're bringing to this podcast. <laughs> it's my weird thing. You almost literally said part of my weird thing, like verbatim. Well, I'm done. Take you were it just over. Take it, take it away. Yeah, All right. We well, I have, know. I have an entry into this that I've been thinking deeply about whether or not I wanted to share with the world, but I've decided that I'm going to. I'm just going to jump right in there. Is that because remember- I yelled about fruit flies and Oasis songs and you, you really inspired warmed me. you, you up? You me to go full disclose. Full disclose. <laughs> Do you remember when we were children and I thought I could charge batteries with my head? Yes. I think about that a lot. It was if a battery, if something wasn't working, the battery is dead, you would charge it with your mind. And then we got the Duracell ones that you could see how much energy it was and we'd be like, okay, Michelle, fill it up with your mind and we can watch it happen. I I really believed that I you was did. charging the batteries with my head. And sometimes the things did work again after I did. I believed it. Like, I, I believed it. I mean, we were making like a scientific effort to experiment with it. Like it was, we had like, you know, I wasn't just accepting this at face value. I was like, let's test it out. And I could No, we were skeptics, but we were skeptics who definitely believed you could charge batteries with your mind. I totally did. I don't think I ever mentioned this because I didn't realize that it was a thing that not everybody could do. But when I was trying to not, not to charge in batteries. I was going to say, yeah, not many people can. Um. But when I was doing the trying to charge batteries with my head when we were like 11 years old, um, I was making a sound in my ears. So do you know about this? Can you make thunder in your ears? But I know what you mean. I have dreams sometimes that I have like, um, I can move things with my mind. I have telekinesis and it's a very specific feeling and pressure in my head. And then sometimes when I was little and sometimes now, like I just did it. And it's a feeling of pressure and there's a certain sound when you're like, now I'm going to use my, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my psychic, my psychic abilities that I don't have, but if I did have them, it would go like this. this. It would sound like this. And you, so do you hear the sound in your head when you do that? Yes. Okay. So, um, apparently only about 20% of people can do that. And it is a muscle that is inside of your ear that about 20% of people can voluntarily tense up. And it's maybe called- that muscle will lead to ESP maybe, and like stop. Maybe. maybe I was charging those. That's the with secret my- to telekinesis is the muscle in your head. And we're like this close. This is so close. That's amazing. I'm losing my fevered mind. So it's in the it's in your middle ear and it's called the tensor tympani. And um, most people cannot contract it voluntarily, but a lot of people, I mean, pretty much everyone has heard it because if you yawn, it happens like for a second. Yeah. Um so that's the sound. I can make that sound forever anytime I want. Like it like I could just make that sound without like I'll do it right now. My face will look exactly the same. It's like a kegel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I did not know that everybody couldn't do that. I kind of so, have to do this and I can hear it more. I don't know why I've linked it to powers well, of telekinesis, but this is it like it feels like the yeah. sound your mind would make if you were moving yes. something with your mind. Yes. yes. I love that this is a thing. So we have known it was a thing since at least 1842 when it was written about um, in the Elements of Physiology, Volume 2. 
but it it we don't really know why some people can do it. it's like you know how some people can like raise one eyebrow or some people can wiggle their ears yeah. or whatever so it's, it's like hold that. your tongue yeah yeah some people can just do this with their ears um and so yeah that's my weird thing is that's that i may not i may not be able thing. to charge batteries with my mind but i can make thunder in my head anytime i want and if you could charge batteries it's because of that i know it i know I mean, it that's amazing i'm so stoked i'm so stoked to know that's a thing and to talk about it that's something you don't talk about with other people they're like oh i think when i when i try to have superpowers this is the yeah. sound what, what does it sound like when you try to have superpowers like that's not that's not small talk that you just bring up at the I, the word was coming to my mind was the company picnic. I don't know if I've ever been to a company <laughs> picnic in my life. Like, I mean, I just like all the company picnics. You teleport back to like a 1950s short story at the company picnic. We talk about our ears rumbling. <laughs> that is a short Michelle. You have to write a short story that starts with at the company picnic. We talk about our ears rumbling. Oh, please. You have to. We're going to start our writing club. That should be our first. That should prompt. be the first prompt. To see where yes. we go with that. Yep. Oh, yes. Okay. Perfect. What a great weird thing. That might be my favorite weird thing ever. So let's move to pop culture. Pop culture. Um, I'm going to bring the energy way down. We were again on vacation. A lot of this is inspired by vacation. Um, We were on the beach and we were talking and somebody brought up laugh tracks. And I don't know why we were talking about laugh tracks, but I went, oh, there's something I want to tell you, but I'm not going to tell you. And it was because this is a fact I knew when I went and did some research and verified it. But we talked about laugh tracks on vacation. Also, one of my favorite, favorite shows, which is called I Think You Should Leave, has started in a new season on Netflix and had a really good skit on laugh tracks. So I have laugh tracks on my mind. And um, I just wanted to tell this really quick story pop culture story which is very interesting but it is sad so i'm gonna have a quick warning that i do talk about like sexual assault and rape in this so um in 1985 fran drescher who is as you probably know her best the nanny in the show the nanny um and she was married at the time to to future co-creator the nanny came out in 1993 this was 1985 but she was married to Peter Jacobson, who would in the future co-create the nanny with her. And their home was broken into by armed gunmen. And they beat her husband really brutally. He was in the hospital for a long time. They had a friend staying over and the robbers, um, they raped Fran Drescher and her friend. Aww. And so it was a really, I obviously, had no idea. Traumatic, I've never heard of yeah. that. She went through, she just didn't, couldn't talk about it forever. And she wrote in her biography about how traumatized she was. She couldn't process it. But then she did start to process it about five years later. And then in 1993, The Nanny premiered. It was a huge hit. And unfortunately, with that came a lot of attention on her. And she got a very serious stalker who sent letters not only to her, but her extended family knew all of their addresses. Um, the stalker would show up on set, would show up at her house consistently. And it obviously reignited a lot of the trauma she had anyway. Having a stalker is hard to deal with in the first place. So she became just really 
fearful for her life, unable to kind of live her life without this anxiety, um, and also just was in danger from the stalker. So she took a lot of measures to protect herself. She had private security. She had security at her house. Production of the nanny hired a security firm. They screened all the show's employees because the stalker was so relentless that they like applied for jobs to work on the show and got like through at one point and then had to be fired. The nature of the kind of show that the nanny is means that it was shot in front of a live studio audience, like a lot of shows at the time were. Did And that's so that you could have a laugh track in part, right? Like a live laugh track and not use canned laughter, which had fallen out of vogue. And at that time, filming in front of a live studio audience was really the thing for especially sitcoms. Became Everyone became so worried that the stalker would find a way to be a part of a live audience, no matter what they did, um, that they eventually decided we can't have a live audience. We're not going to have a live audience. Grant Drescher can't work like this. It's dangerous to her. But they didn't want to use canned laughter. They said, we still need that feeling for this show. So what do we do? So the network decided to cast extras as a studio audience. They went to a huge talent agency and said, we just need, you know, people who have a good laugh that have, you know, time on their hands. They paid $75 a day. And they basically cast a studio audience of a 50-50 gender split. And they found that they were choosing people between 40 and 50 primarily because they had the best laughs. And um, the the casting director for the audience, Jessica St. Clair, said that maybe it takes more life experience, more joy and more sorrow to find things to really laugh about. Yeah. So they hired actors who were part of, you know, the union who were screened before their jobs, like they could screen everyone else in a way they couldn't screen a live studio audience every day. And what's interesting about this is that that then became the norm for sitcoms. Everyone's like, this is great. We go to central casting. We don't have to deal with like people who are going to be weird, people who don't laugh at the right time or laugh the way we want them to laugh. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, it created two new jobs in Hollywood, which was the laugh wrangler and the pro laugher that you could go be hired and have a SAG-AFTRA card to laugh. And it really, really was the standard in Hollywood up until kind of the rise of reality TV and single camera comedies, just that the sitcom as we know it, the network sitcom has kind of fallen out of vogue. And so they don't really use it, but they also don't use laugh tracks. So that necessity to keep Fran Drescher safe became just a practice within Hollywood for a wow. long time. That is, I mean, it's pretty rare that the things that are done kind of within a commercial zone are also done in a way that is helpful to right? lots of people in that way, right? I mean, I guess not the people who want to watch a live show, but I'm I'm sympathetic to the I'm sympathetic to the actors too who get a pain right that yeah. is also something they can I mean like because a lot of those SAG actors if they don't have enough gigs in a year they don't have health insurance and they don't have like exactly. the, yeah this is just well mine's also yeah. kind of a downer so okay downer pop culture downer pop week. culture upper weird things downer pop culture we'll see where research just lands keeping it balanced for you all so um my pop culture thing also kind of grew out of vacation because I drove all the way <laughs> from Myrtle Beach, North Carolina to, no, that's not right. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina to 
you know your name. I know my states. We're good. Um, to St. Louis, I think one of those things, I feel like one of those things is more important to know, though. I feel like you get a bigger <laughs> pass than me. I was also yes. in North Carolina, just to be fair. Like, we, we did both, but. I was not um, also ever named Michelle. So. Yes, no, no. Um, so, yeah, 15 hours of driving with the stops included all the way through with two kids. Um, two out of 10 stars. Do not recommend. It got us where I'm we needed to be. I'm surprised you're giving it. Okay, well, that's why you're giving yeah. it to. Because, like, you know, I didn't have to wake up at 3 in the morning to drive to get. Because we had to be back in time for something. So, um, but I, everybody's asleep for a while and I was awake. So I was listening to podcasts and I was like, I don't want to listen to any of the podcasts I have because my brain is turning to mush. I want something new and exciting. And I just happened to stumble upon a podcast called 60 songs that explain the nineties. Have you heard this podcast? No, I am a fan. So, um, I found it on Spotify. It's probably, I think it's a Spotify original actually. So maybe it's not anywhere else. Um, and I can't tell you too much about it because I just listened to two episodes, but I want to tell you more about the two episodes that I listened to. First of all, it is a bit of a misnomer because um, it is, uh, there's way more than 60 now. I think he's on like episode 92, which I, as a podcaster now on episode 45, feel for him, right? He's like, yeah, I've got these 60 songs I'm going to talk about. He's like, I'm just going to keep going. He's now writing a book, which I'm, I'm, oh, wow. Comes out in November. I might get it. Um, so it basically just takes a song and uses it to kind of shine a cultural lens on the 90s. And I listened to one and a half episodes. The episode that I listened, they're long. They're, they're long and very deep and involved and smart and full of heart. And um, I listened to one about Loser by Beck. And, ah, yay. Um, Smells Like Teen Spirit by also Nirvana. excellent. So those are the two that I, I only listened to half of Smells Like Teen Spirit because he interviews Courtney Love. And I stopped right at the interview part because I didn't, I knew I was going to have to stop soon and I wanted to be able to listen to it all in one go. That's so, another good memory other than like around the time we were charging, ba- you were charging batteries with your mind. I just have such a um, clear memory of listening to Hole with you, and we both really loved Hole. And your mom being like, "Oh, but her voice isn't pretty," and you and I just 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 teamed up and formed like a uh, transformer void of like, "Why do women have to be pretty? Have to be pretty?" <laughs> we were in our good like emerging feminist stage, and writing angry like, letters. Okay, I'm not going to comment on the music anymore. <laughs> yep. Yep. We really went hard for Courtney Love. <laughs> so um, what I really like about this is I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to hear about Beck song loser. And I was like, whoa, what are we talking about? Because as soon as it opened up, it was about Batman. And it was just going on and on and on about Batman. And I was like, am I on the wrong podcast? And I looked, I'm like, no, that's what it says it is. And he just has this very good narrative style where he like, you know what I really like about it? I don't feel like he doesn't feel pressured to get to the point. He's like, you're either along for this ride with me or you're not. And if you're not. I love that. Yeah. Not enough of that. Not there enough of really that in this world. Is not because there's just such a big threat of like losing the attention. Right. And I just feel like he doesn't give into that threat at all. He's like, okay, you don't want to give me your attention. Then you won't get to hear my cool story. Well, how about that? And so I was with him. I was like, all right, I'm literally along for the ride because I'm stuck in this car and it's probably unsafe to try to find another podcast now while I'm driving. So here we go. 
And he's going on and on about Batman. And I'm like, where is this going? And then he starts talking at least about a musician, was not Beck, named Wesley Willis. Have you heard of Wesley Willis? No. Okay, well, I'm going to play you a clip that at least explains why he was going on and on about Batman. This is this was his lead up to tell me about Wesley Willis. I whooped Batman's ass. I whooped Batman's ass. I whooped Batman's ass. I whooped That's amazing. So this is Wesley Willis. Um, He was an outsider artist, which I think is interesting because you've talked about that in the art community a lot and how like you think that term is sort of BS and what does it even mean? Uh, This, the leader of this podcast, the host of this podcast said the same thing, like what does that term even really mean? But this is kind of the way that he's referred to as this outsider artist um, who had schizophrenia. And his music was definitely an outlet for dealing with that. And he died fairly young. And um, the uh, Rob, the podcast host, is like, I like to think that he got a lot of joy knowing that he brought people a lot of joy and that this music was really important to that. And then he used that to then move on to talking about another outsider artist who suffered from schizophrenia. And this person's name is Daniel Johnston. Have you heard of Daniel? Oh, I do love Daniel Johnston. Absolutely. Whenever I'm sad, I listen to the song Walking the Cow. So Daniel Johnston, uh, I don't know if you know this part of it, but his schizophrenia, like at one point he was in a plane with his dad and thought that his dad was the devil i think and ripped the controls away like they were in like a private plane his dad was the pilot and crashed the plane um they they both miraculously survived but he i mean it was they played a portion of this song which i have queued up to talk about the line that he talks about that it was just so heartbreaking and i had never heard this before this is daniel johnson's peekaboo I haven't heard this. To these songs, have a good time and walk away. But for me, it's not that easy. I have to live these songs forever. So you can listen to these songs <sighs> and walk away. Um, you know what? I think I messed this up. I don't think these were the entry. I think these were the entry to the Nirvana one. So I'm just going to. That would make sense. I'm going to keep going. Yes. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Yes. I know Kurt Cobain loved Daniel yes. Johnson. Yes. Yeah. Um, this, is, <laughs> this is the episode where we're all kind of in a haze. Just follow along. All right. This, so, yes. This so, is the fever dream episode. This is the fever great. dream. Yeah. We're, we're staying on, on topic. Um, so, yeah. And there's, there's even a cover by Phoebe Bridgers of that song, which is oh. also very haunting.
those artists, Daniel Johnston and um, what was the Wesley Willis were people I had not heard about. Um, and it was also just listening to this was just so deeply nostalgic. It, from listening to him tell about his own experiences, I would say he's about seven years older than me. So about six years older than you. So they were hitting him, you know, like, I feel like I got to Nirvana a little bit late because I was pretty young, like when Nirvana was first, like what, I think it was like 92, 93. So I was only like seven or eight. Right. Um, yeah. By the time we were like buying, I bought the cassette of Unplugged in New York, but by then Kirk, Cobain was already dead right yeah right and so but like the but he he puts in all these little stories about like when he when he how he remembers first hearing a song and what he remembers thinking about it Mm -hmm. and like that feeling is just so transcendent and talking about like what it meant to the artist and it's just it was just a really powerful take um and actually, so I was going to end on the downer note. I, I I messed up my, but now I get to go back to Yay. Beck, which was more upbeat. So this no, because that actually transition I'm, us back out. I'm really feeling that. Um, it's so interesting. I I didn't know Daniel Johnson was schizophrenic for some reason, and I'm here going, oh, I love this fun song. I listen to it. I'm sad, and then to hear that line right because yeah yeah you get to listen to this I song and walk away really and... i feel really gut punched just by the way and then the way you talk about him hearing the songs that's amazing um and so then the other one i listened to in its entirety was about beck's loser but it also opened up about i was like what are we talking about this is not <laughs> about beck it was just going on and on and on um and eventually it got to it was about it was about people who did like shocking things in their music um in particular the butthole surfers and I, I finally got there and I was like okay I at least know who that is again I don't know what it has to do with Beck but here we are um and <laughs> I loved so he really goes into some stuff that I didn't know so he's talking about uh, loser which came out on mellow gold um and how that was kind of the commercial, like the first time that Beck had this kind of commercial success, but had 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 this underground career before that, that was really kind of weird. I mean, all of Beck's stuff is weird, but even weirder. His early like, stuff, though, like, yeah. Kind of cacophonous. Satan, Satan gave me a taco stuff. Oh, yeah. And before that, even. So he plays a clip from like a um, mixtape from his early ones that and he's like there was this show that he played that and like just like knocked everything over on the stage and everybody left like everybody just walked out on him except one person who came up to him was like that's the best thing I've ever seen and that one person was the lead singer from the butthole surfers (laughs) and that just makes me nostalgic to think of the butthole I haven't thought of them forever that song oof they're hit from and some of these songs that I just can't imagine being hits today in the same way yeah just like talking about network television right where you just don't have that same kind of thing there just aren't not that weird songs can't be hits today but just we don't have universe hits that are just universal that can be outliers because too. we don't listen to music in the same way right like right, exactly. I was just reading an article on Vulture I think it was about the streaming problem which i mean we talked about in around and through many different ways and they kind of just put it like look there's just too much tv like 
there's too much TV because we can't all watch this much TV. And they're banking on this money to come from this huge amount of viewers, but you can't have that huge amount of viewers watching all of this content because there just is not enough time in the day for it to happen. Like, um, and so, but that's not the way it used to be when there were these gatekeepers that kind of right. said, this is where you get your music, right? Like, even the underground stuff had to have some sort of channel that you tapped into to figure out where to get your underground music. But now, like, you and your, like, in the article, they were like, me and my four friends love this show and can quote it forward to backward. But then we went out and talked to another peer group, and they were like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of that show. Like, and that just happens all the time. Like, you think that something is ubiquitous because it is, I mean, it's almost kind of like the family elect, right? Like, it's your language that you're using, but it isn't it's not even a thing for a lot of people. And a lot of these shows are getting canceled, not necessarily because of the content, but just because they can't, it's just kind of luck of the draw, right? Which to some extent has always been true, but I think it just feels worse now because much worse. Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah. But um, I also was going to bring up from the Beck one, he is talking about, I can't remember which Beck song it was. What was the hit from Odalay? Oh, two turn. What's the two turn tables in a micro? Where it's at? Where, where's, where it's where at? It's at? I yeah. think he was talking about where it's at. Um, and he, I, it could have been a different song, so don't quote me too much on that. But uh, he was talking about one of Beck's songs, and he was like, "Look, I can't even like talk about it meaningfully to you all because I listened to it so much, and it's just so much a part of my brain that I can't analyze it or talk about it in the it's like it's just like I couldn't even listen to it today because I I can't handle it because it's like embedded in me now and I was just gonna ask like are there any is there anything that's like that for you like a song or a movie or a tv show that's just like you did it so much that when you return to you it you have you're no like, oh. distance you have no yeah. you can't see it even um that's such a good question like you so you mean that like you enjoy it, but you just can't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't turn on I, the, the critical part of your mind. You can't like, I do feel like, it. I do feel like I was pretty young, but Beck really hit when Beck hit, like I was ready for it. And I love Beck so much. Um, and then went back retroactively and listened to all the older, weirder stuff. But like when Odalay hit, I was very into it when he was on SNL doing that. And um, that Beck was the first and only artist that like when I still bought CDs and physical things that I owned every album. And when it came out, I had it. So I don't know if I couldn't be critical about Beck. Also, just every song you mentioned, I have a memory and like 90% of them are at your house. Like I remember waking up before you and swinging outside of your house and listening to Odalay. I'm going to say, I guess, John, if I had to choose, I've been rambling because I love this era of music. It's when I got into music and like fell in love with it hard. And thank you should you. listen to this podcast. I'm gonna. Oh, I'm so it's gotten me so amped. And I she doesn't listen to this podcast, but I just want to say huge thanks to my cousin, Sarah Hagen, because she made me these mixtapes. She was the one that was like, you know, about five years older, who was his age and had these big feelings and was and just made me the best mixtape. I'm going to say. I'm going to choose and it is Jonathan Fire Eater because it's another band Sarah Hagen turned me on to that I loved so much from the start 
and just never stopped. My, my, how much I love them has never waned from when I was 11 years old to today. And their songs, I can put them on, never get sick of them. They're always as good as the first time I heard them. And that I think is a different maybe experience, but in the same vein where it's so ingrained in you. So big shout out to Jonathan Fire Eater and the Walkmen can go fuck themselves for being mean to Stuart Lupton, even though he was a mess. And that's a whole other story for another day. Whoa, whoa. It tapped into a different research thing, I think. But yeah, if anybody out there likes the Walkmen, go listen to Jonathan Fire Eater and you can't listen to them again. I'm sorry. Is there, what do you have that's like that? Maybe also Kurt Vonnegut, but we've analyzed him so we can analyze him. Um, I would say The Last Unicorn. I tried to watch it with my daughter, who wasn't against it, um, but I don't think that she enjoyed it in quite the way that I did. And I still remembered every single word. Um, and I also just, like, couldn't take her. Like, I was like, nope, you just don't, blah, 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 blah. Let me use my thunder ears to not hear you talk about this piece of my childhood. It is perfect in every way. Be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no, I agree. I would get mad at someone if they made fun of it, because also, why would you? It's perfect. It's perfect. I don't know. I don't don't know why you can't just have joy in your life. That's on you. Don't bring that to me. Um, Also, I. Not everything that they've done, but there are certain Everclear songs that I think (gasps) are just from a I think they're just from a specific time in my life and like. I listened to those songs to get me through some moments that were really hard. And I just like, they're just like a piece of that, that synapse in my brain is just like rooted with Everclear. And I can't, I cannot disconnect it or analyze it meaningfully. Absolutely. Local God, but not even local God. There's other, what's the one where they watch the waves roll? Oh, oh, ever. We were too cool for Smash Mouth, but not too cool forever. No, no, and never be. How could you be? They're so good. I um, I saw them live as an adult, like not. I mean, like probably like ten years ago. Um, and they they were performing at like the Taste of St. Louis. They were like the free band that was playing at like the Taste of St. Louis. And a woman like they brought people up on stage, and everybody was dancing. And she like grabbed his butt like with two hands, and he like stopped the show and was like that's not okay like it is not okay to touch me and like this was this was too long ago that i think like some people in the audience were kind of like i think if you did that now everybody would be like yeah that's not okay um but like people in the audience were kind of laughing it off and he, and he was like no like get off of the stage you do not get to physically assault me on the stage and um it was just like it really stuck with me as a moment of like yeah. watching somebody stand up for their bodily autonomy and not be willing to laugh it off as a joke and not be embarrassed as a man to say like hey that's violating and i'm not gonna let you do it and so yeah just there's a little there's it's a little ever story yeah no like you said that was earlier than now it would be very much recognized and accepted but that was early for that good for everclear on it oh i cannot wait to listen to this podcast because already songs that explain the 90s check it out so for my research i'm going to talk about coasters again but drink coasters which is what i thought you were talking about last time (laughs) 
And they are going to be extremely tangential to what I am talking about. So last month, I read about, um, and okay, it was in the New York Times, so it's fine. But it was just a listicle on ways to cure constipation. Okay. They had, you know, the various things like Metamucil, Flaxseed, Hydrate, Prunes. But one of the things they had was to vibrate your gut is a really good way to help with constipation. That's easy enough, right? But no, how would you go about vibrating your gut? You asking me? Yeah, like, if you if I told you the best way to cure constipation is vibrate your gut, how do you imagine your gut gets vibrated? I like the dryer? Do I like go lean against <laughs> the dryer? That's what I thought too, right? Like massage your tummy. But no, um it's a pill. There's a pill that last year the FDA approved. It's called Vibrant and it's an electronic capsule that you swallow. Mm-mm, no. And once it hits your tummy, it vibrates. No. And uh, then you shit it out. I couldn't be on the FDA. No. <laughs> it has a microchip in it that's programmed to start shimmying and shaking when it reaches your stomach. And it induces small vibrations inside your colon for two periods of two hours each, space six hours apart. It's a little little shimmy shammy vibrator pill you can swallow. Michelle's Michelle's so out. Yeah, it was wild. It was wild to me as well. And so I wanted to research the hell out of this pill because what is this? I could not really find much about how this pill came to be. Not making Um, me feel better about it. No, I know. I know. The whole concept of electronic microchip pills are kind of worrying to me not in like a conspiracy theorist way but just like i don't i just don't know yeah i don't know so i did learn that this uses two different technologies that i did some half-assed research on so here we go the first technology is of course the pill um like what is the history of pills and medicines in capsule form much like roller coasters i thought maybe this would be more exciting than it was but it's pretty basic. It's what you would expect. I did learn offhandedly that Lifesavers, the candy, were apparently inspired by the creators of Lifesavers seeing someone make pills in an old-fashioned pill machine. And I did not follow that story up because it did not actually interest me at all. So what's the history of pills, medicinal pills? Um, I learned from George Griffinhagen, who is a retired pharmacist and historian, that pills date back to roughly 1500 BC and they were they were invented to measure out medicine pills have always been medicinal as long as we know that they've been around and earlier than that say that we have recorded history again about 4000 um we know that there were older medicines thanks to assyrian tablets the very first reference to not just any medicine you take, they were liquids before that primarily, we know from the Assyrian tablets, but the first reference to pills comes much like the interview and torture ancient Egyptians and they're excellent, excellent written records, right? Who knows if they're the first to do it, but they're definitely the written records that we have that says it was done. That's 1500 BC from a very, from a famous set of papyruses. And it's a papyrus that discusses a variety of medical remedies, 
including pills. And from what we know that they were made from bread dough, honey, or grease. So they were kind of like uh, pills you might give your dog. Yeah, I was just thinking like, oh, the little puppy pockets. Yeah, Mix them into those, roll them into little balls or pills with their fingers. And a lot of early ingredients that they put into pills included saffron, myrrh, cinnamon, tree resin, and a lot of other botanicals. Ancient Greece also had pills, and they were called catapatia, meaning something to be swallowed. And it was the Roman scholar Pliny who first coined the word pillula. So we have Pliny to thank for why we can call them pills and not catapatia, but I think caplets and capsules are related to that. So we also know that as as far back as 500 BC, people were branding um, indentations into capsules to have markings so you could tell what it was. Now, in my research on pills, I found two interesting pills that were early to um, automated pill machines that I want to tell you about. Because basically, we put them in bread like the ancient Egyptians. Then there were a variety of roll and cut pills that you rolled them and cut them. But they required moisture to prepare, which more often than not rendered the ingredients ineffective. And so the 1800s saw a slew of innovations, sugar coating it, gelatin coating came from the 1800s. That was when we had the invention of gelatin capsules. Also, that was the time when the compressed tablet was created, which any other kind of pill... The phrase like, I won't sugarcoat it, is literal for like the sugar coating of a pill. Exactly. And then in 1843, a British pharmacist named William Brockton invented a totally different kind of pill. You put powder in a tube and then you compress it to solidity with a mallet. And that was mechanized and automated. And that's pretty much how we have pills today. But two fun pills I found, not fun, but problematic, were um, Cheeseman's female regulating pills and... I just, I found an ad for it and the ad is so funny and I'm going to read the full ad script because it says so much, I think about what historically we thought of as women and what women needed in medicine, which is to say, help, we don't know and we're not going to talk about it, but something. So this is the ad. It says important to females, Dr. Cheeseman's pills. The combinations of ingredients in these pills is the result of a long and extensive practice. They are mild in their operation and certain of restoring nature to its proper channel. In every instance have the pills proved successful. The pills invariably open those obstructions to which females are liable and bring nature into its proper channel, whereby health is restored and the pale and deathly countenance changed to a healthy one. No female can enjoy good health unless she is regular, and whenever an obstruction takes place, whether from exposure, cold, or any other cause to the general health immediately begins to decline, and the want of such a remedy has been the cause of so many consumptions among young females, to ladies whose health will not permit an increase of their family, these pills will prove a valuable acquisition as they will prevent pregnancy. And I, I just love that they're like saying that they'll do a variety of things about nature's channels and obstruction. And then the first thing it says it will certainly do is prevent pregnancy. So this is like a very old the pill, like contraceptive yeah. pill. 
Um, but also it will help with headache and pain in the side and palpitations of the heart and loathing of food and disturbed sleep and um, any interruption of nature will these pills help. And whenever this is the case, these pills will invariably remedy all these evils. This is also not the most great written copy text. It's very repetitive. Nor are these pills less efficacious in the cure of leucoric evils, commonly called the whites. I just don't know what the whites are. Is that like a yeast infection, maybe? I should have researched my research. These pills should never be taken during pregnancy, as they would be sure to cause a miscarriage. Warranted purely vegetable and free from anything injurious to life or health. They are full and explicit directions accompany each box of Dr. Cheeseman's pills. These pills are put up in square flat boxes. Persons residing where there are, there are no agency established by enclosing one dollar in a letter prepared to J.D. Park, corner of 4th and Walnut Street, Cincinnati, Ohio, can have them sent to their respective addresses by return of mail. You could get abortion pills in the mail. Boxes and boxes of them. Boxes and boxes. And now we can't. And these are from the 1800s, man. Uh, so that's Dr. Cheeseman's pills. And then there was also, um, less like proto-feminist or actually just feminist was Dr. Hooper's female pills for hysterics. And that of course, straight up was, are you a hysteric woman? Take your pills. And I wanted to research what was in those, like what will help women with their hysterics. And it had a lot of things that just like a daily vitamin should have. It had folate. It had something called Piper Longum, which is a fruit powder. You can still buy it as a supplement today in most places. And it's um, generally thought to be for calming and anti-bloating. It had a rye hop used to make beer in it. It had ferrous sulfate, which is, you might've heard of ferrous sulfate because it is an iron supplement for iron deficiencies. And it also had myrrh. So just like the ancient Egyptians put myrrh into their pills, uh, Dr. Hooper was putting myrrh into his pills for females. Um, so yeah, I thought those were very interesting. And I really like that in my research, I stumbled into a bi male like abortion pill. Yeah, it's so just like casually, hey. Yeah, just just yeah. come and get them. Dr. Cheeseman will mail Send them a dollar to, you. to the random house in Ohio. So um, that's the first technology for the vibrating constipation pill, which is the pill. Um, the second technology is the pager. That's what this is working off of. The same technology that fuels a pager is well, what they had to go swallow. somewhere when they became obsolete. They were like, fine, right? if you won't wear them, we'll make you swallow them. Um, but it's really not even the pager, but the restaurant pager, which has a slightly different technology. And here's where the coaster comes in. They're often called coasters, restaurant coasters, even though they're not coasters. That was a bit of a bait and switch, but... Um, so the restaurant pager, this technology, vibrant is the pill, um, is 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 the same technology when you go to the cheesecake factory and they're like, here, we'll let you know when your table is ready. Um, and now you're supposed to swallow it, and that's okay. We can't we can't get we can't get abortion pills mailed to us, but we, we can, can swallow get, the cheesecake factory. Swallow a whole fucking Buzzer. pager. <laughs> What so, a time um, to be alive. I know. So if you want to know the history of the restaurant pager, I looked into the history of restaurant reservations, um, which, of course, for most of modern times, restaurant 
restaurants would reserve tables for when important people came in. Like important people didn't need to make reservations. Everywhere they went was reserved for them. And there were just always tables ready that restaurants would have tables for people. And apparently one of the biggest places to do that officially to reserve these tables was St. Louis, other than Washington, D.C. And then I realized this kind of this restaurant reserving culture started in the early 1900s. And St. Louis was a hub, right? The World's Fair was there. What was also interesting to me was, especially in St. Louis, a lot of restaurants would reserve tables by profession. So this is where the tailors can go and this is where the bankers can go and X, Y, Z. But then, of course, we have reservations. You can anyone can make a reservation now. And I learned from a New York Times article on the subject of restaurant pagers that restaurant pagers were invented by Ken Lovegreen, who is the founder of Long Range System. In the early 1990s, he had the idea to restaurant because the hostess was handing out actual pagers. That was a thing for a while at some restaurants. They would just give you a pager. And he thought, he says, quote, I thought, why not have something that can double as a coaster at the bar? So they were actual coasters and lights up when the table is ready, said Mr. Lovegreen. That article was from 2003 and it ended with, again, dating it. While Mr. Lovegreen of of Long Range Systems predicts that cell phone technology may eventually make its way into more restaurants, Mr. Toast Stoko of JT Tech questions whether a typical customer would be willing to give his phone number to a stranger. Moreover, <laughs> restaurants don't want you to be 14 miles away when your table is ready, Mr. Stoko said. They want you to be 14 feet away. That's fair enough. But the idea that you would never give your cell phone number to a stranger. Whereas now I just don't answer my phone ever. Like, I, like, I, yeah, no. like, I don't know. Why are you calling that's me? So... You're supposed to text first. That's not, that's no. not okay. Yeah, so that's my research about the uh, vibrant, the new vibrating pill to cure constipation. I'm really glad you shared this research. I'm glad <laughs> it went, it 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 wound its way around and came all the way back, and it was it was, it was and a ride. you took the ride with me, I much did. like the podcast that you suggested. Yeah. So, okay. Well, my research thing is some research that I actually was just doing because I needed to do it for a presentation I'm giving this weekend to a homeschooling convention. Um, I've had lots of questions from people about mentor text, which is the idea that if you are going to ask a writer, these, these are typically you know young writers, middle schoolers, high schoolers, you can use mentor text with elementary school students. That's just not really where my my use of them is because I mostly teach middle and high schoolers um, where you provide them with a text to have as a model or as something to mine for ideas, for techniques, for just ways that writing can look. Um, Mentor texts have especially risen as the pressure has been on to get away from things like the five paragraph essay, because Mm -hmm. then there's all this like, well, if we are trying to teach these kids to write something with more free form and with things that better fit their ideas and expression, they need to see examples, you know, in the wild, so to speak, so they can understand how writers move, right? So they can understand what it looks like. Um, but I've noticed that a lot of people who ask me questions about it, which are homeschooling parents um, that don't necessarily have a background in teaching writing, like they're kind of perplexed by the term mentor text because it gets thrown around a lot. It's become very buzzword word buzz wordy and they're like well am I doing it right and so I wanted to put together a presentation that kind of took some of the the mystique out of it 
And the, what I, the particular element of it that I wanted to bring in for the podcast is an article that I read by Lester Laminac called Mentors and Mentor Texts, What, Why, and How. And I just think that I, I bring this up a little bit in my presentation, but I couldn't dive into it as deeply as I wanted to because it definitely would have caused more anxiety and not less. So by the time this podcast airs, I will have already given that presentation. So if for some reason you were somebody who listened to both, I'm sorry I didn't give you the full story. I was trying to make it trying to make it palatable. Like a vibrating pill. Like a vibrating pill. <laughs> that just put some little bread and honey around yep. that thing. <laughs> um, so I I he says we've heard a lot about mentor text in recent years. It's become ubiquitous. If you are, you know, a writing faculty member, you're going to get articles about it and conference presentations and it's everywhere and you got to make sure you talk about how you're using mentor text in order to be seen as doing it appropriately. And he said, however, it has become part of the common language and when a term finds its way into the daily talk of our profession, it has the potential to lose some of its focus and power. And I was just really struck by that. I mean, like that's, I guess if you had asked me, like, does that make sense to you? Absolutely. But I just hadn't really stopped to think about how when a word is common, it gets diluted, right? Like that the more yeah. that we, the more people are using the word and the more that it has become like this, this thing that we're all like, yes, that's something that we need to do, um, the way that it gets diluted. And in particular, the way it has gotten diluted in the field is that people start asking for, well, I want a mentor text that shows me how to write good transition sentences. I want a mentor text that shows me how to write a good opening sentence. I want a mentor text that shows me how to put commas before coordinating conjunctions that are followed by independent clauses or whatever, right? Like they turn these into these very specific, like what mentor text can do this? What mentor text can do this? And I think it's interesting because it sounds to me very much like mentor text as a as a feature of writing instruction rose to try to move away from that kind of slicing and dicing of writing instruction right that current like something traditional... so prescriptive yeah exactly exactly which there's a and whole then history... people just want to make it prescriptive yes and i mean i understand the instinct to make it prescriptive because it is a lot easier to teach if you're just like just do this but it's not really writing and that's not it's not gonna help create thinkers, which is what writing is, right? Just again and again, you can't force knowledge. You can only send people down the path to learn and real learning is done. It's not given to someone. It's an act. It's a relation and they have to do it themselves and you just give them the tools and it's just, you can't tell people here's the knowledge. Which now more than ever, like, can't we, we should have to accept that because I was just thinking about um, when everybody's going on and on about chat GPT and all these answers. And there's a huge conversation both in like the professional writing instruction circles I run in and in the homeschooling circles of just like, you know, my kids asking me like, what's the point of learning to write if there's just going to be a machine that can write whatever I want. Right. And that's been a question that like math teachers have had to answer about calculators forever. Right. right? Like what's yeah. the point of learning this math if I can just plug it into a calculator. And, and, you know, they've tried to say like, because maybe you won't always have a calculator. Maybe you won't understand how to use the calculator. And in the past, I've been guilty of saying to a student, it's like, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to take English 101? Like, I'm not going into a field that requires writing. And I've, I've been able to say, 
Um, you know, you're going to have to write across any career. You're going to have to be able to explain yourself clearly. Um, and now with ChatGPT and whatever's coming after it that will be even more effective, that might not be true. And it made me really stop to think about how the answer I was giving was really a cheap surface Ooh, level answer to begin yeah. with. Like that was never really the answer. The answer is because writing is thinking. And it is thinking yes. made visible to other people so that they can think with you and so that you can make sure that your thinking holds up and that you can make sure that you've made it as strong as it needs to be. And you can make sure you've made it connected to the idea that you want it to be connected to and so that you can get other people's ideas in play. And so it's a way of conveying meaning. And like, so is math, right? Right, right. Like you can't, you, it's, it's a way of understanding the world and conveying meaning about the world. And if you don't understand, like, it's like, sorry, I can't go down that path because I have a, a fevered brain. And I mean, I think that's if we can do it right and well, which I'm not very confident that we can, but I'm holding out hope. Um, I mean, fine, I don't know how right? to use, I can't use a graphing calculator, right? And I'm not trained in math. There are some things that you still right. Even with the biggest technology, that technology gets hard to use and you have to know how to check on the technology. You have to have the core skills to say, I think this is doing what I want it to and I can make it do other things. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of that to say. Um, rant. <laughs> I was about to go on another one. I was like, let me no, let me go back to the thing I'm actually talking about. All right. <laughs> um, so Laminac says that a lot of people have turned this like rise in mentor text into this, and this was back in 2017. So this is even, you know, this, I think it has gotten worse since he wrote this into like listicles of like, here are five mm -hmm. mentor texts you can use for X. Here are 10 mentor texts you can use for Y. And I really like what he says about it. He says, you know, lists are fine. Yeah, great. Create lists. He's like, but we, we call them mentor texts because mentor is about relationship building, right? And he's like, you're Reader writers need to have a relationship with the text that as a reader before they start mining it for chunks they can take out as a writer, because otherwise they have no way of contextualizing when to use those techniques or how to use those techniques or where to use those techniques. You're just you just turned it into grammar drills again. You just turn it into grammar drills that are hidden inside of a story or article instead of grammar drills that are pulled out into a, a like you're missing the point, right? The point is you've got to take in the whole thing. You've got to appreciate what it's trying to do as a text on its own before you start mining it for pieces that you can use. And if you don't have that relationship with it, he doesn't specifically use this word, but it just feels really like transactional, right? Like here's this yeah. thing that I found. I'm just going to see, I mean, like really, like I said, mining, but it's making me think about like, what we do to the landscape to get the the ore we want out of it instead of like really appreciating the world around us right like to just go yeah. in and like let's blow up this thing so we can take out the chunks rather than let's go in and be a part of this world and i think that um he says here a mentor text can be any text in any form or genre that you can write that you can learn from as a writer. I accept this premise. What I challenge is the mentor part. For any text to become a mentor text, I believe we need to spend time with the text and come to know it as a reader first. And um, then he says that if we provide 
mentor texts. Like if we write them as teachers, which is a great way to like get really involved and be able to showcase your own process and, and that. He said that we need to work as a bridge between the world of professional writers and the daily work of our student writers. And I just, it's really just relationship focused, right? Relationship focused between teacher and student, relationship focused between reader and writer. And I just reminded again and again how much writing and instruction seems to be designed to try to remove the work of of that yeah I yeah I could go on several rants and I'm not gonna but yeah yeah so that that's my research now I want to go off on a tangent about what you were teach you told me about phonics recently but oh yeah don't have time anyone can again maybe that could be a uh give us a grab bag and we'll give you a recording of Michelle ranting about phonics because I have multiple recordings of me ranting about phonics. So good. It's so interesting, <laughs> but that's not for today. Okay. So should we wrap up? We should wrap up. Okay. My weird thing was, I mean, I went full disclose and my weird thing was about fruit flies and boiling them alive and Ali Wong is dating Bill Hader and um that TikTok video with Oasis although Oasis could link to 90s songs but none of those count and I'm gonna say what we have to make the connection with is genetics of voice mine is making thunder in your ears god I love that my pop culture thing was about Fran Drescher's um traumatic stalking and how that changed network sitcoms for a long time mine is about the podcast 60 songs that explain the 90s then my research thing was about vibrant the constipation pill that is basically just swallowing a restaurant coaster pager (laughs) and mine is about mentor texts and how we keep trying to turn them into grammar worksheets okay I have a couple of things I kind of jotted down and I don't think they cover everything, but I'm just going to start with like, right. It's a hard pill to swallow something like that. Maybe because we talked about muscles and your face and head throat. Also being prescriptive seemed like we could do that literally or figuratively maybe. And then you said something about extracting and taking out the chunks and that just made me think of the constipation pill and how it helped but nothing else really um unless you think about like Fran Drescher they extracted the stalker and took out the chunks but uh what are your thoughts I'll Uh, hand it over to you all right I like the hard pill to swallow is at least a like platform for building on let's see there's something about like earlier eras impacts like with the laugh tracks and the 90 songs and the genetics of voice right because it's like one generation passing on something to another um yeah there's something also just about how different eras with just like the the pills that you could yeah get male abortion pill and it wasn't yeah well and that i mean like what we do to technology like it starts as a pager turns into a restaurant buzzer turns into a constipation pill right like the like unexpected yep. like almost unexpected legacies maybe 
unexpected legacies. I think that definitely works for my weird thing because I just never thought of of voices being the same and that being handed down. But I swear to God, I thought it was you talking and it was your daughter and vice versa again and again. So there's something. And then um, unexpected legacies. We talked about that a lot with your podcast thing about the memories and how there are some things, some legacies that are so strong and they build such a wall that you can't even. And I think that that those things terribly sad lyric I made you listen to is kind of about that too, right? Like, yeah, unexpected oh, legacy was all the people who get to walk away after hearing that sad moment and then like having to care like your legacy your personal legacy is carrying those but the legacy you've left in the world is i don't know unexpected yeah. legacy is perfect for everything it fits everything perfectly now we have to make a clever does it fit making thunder saying. in your ears? I mean, it does for me personally because I no, thought I, I was going to charge does. batteries, and now I. <laughs> okay. I feel like it fits enough. Okay. Well, the unexpected legacy, I guess. It, here's how I think it fits, which is to say, I have had dreams forever about I have superpowers and mind control, and when I wake up from them, and I'm like, "Er, this is how you do it." That is such a thing, and I just thought it was, you know, me something weird I did not something in my head that is like also a you said could, is genetic like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's, that was super unexpected is it a legacy maybe not but but it, it, it hand, fits it's enough. handed okay. down okay okay so unexpected legacy and tough pill to swallow might be able to go together tough legacy to follow tough it's a tough to pull to swallow but a tougher legacy to follow a tough legacy to swallow Oops, not a tough legacy to swallow is a hard pill to follow. I'm Michelle. Bye. <laughs> there, yes. We should write that on the. <laughs> a tough legacy to swallow is a hard pill to follow. That's so negative, though. And I think a lot of these were very positive. Yeah. I, and I say that as if what I just said makes sense. I'm like, oh, but that very sensical thing I just said is so negative. <laughs> um. We don't need to do the pill swallowing. Hold on, I'm, I'm writing down what you just said because I want to. I want to think about it more concretely for a moment. A tough <laughs> legacy to swallow, but a tough pill to follow. A tough legacy to swallow is a hard pill to follow. Is a hard pill to follow? That's not what you said. I don't know what I said. How about a tough legacy to swallow, but a tougher pill to follow? Hold on. You know. So so okay. Part of this is because I don't know if he said it while we were on vacation or if this came up after we were on vacation, but my son has been saying with the exact same cadence multiple times, he goes, did you know? <laughs> I can't even get through it. Did you know that since they're so yummy and sweet, pop kernels are sometimes eaten by birthday boys at streets? It's treats by birthday boys. Did you know that pop kernels are so yummy and sweet? They're sometimes eaten as treats by birthday boys. And he just says it with this exact cadence. And I said, at one point, because, you know, he, he says nonsense to me all the time. So I just like, but it just kept coming up over days and days and days. And so I said, did you hear this somewhere? Or come up with it. He said, oh, no, I heard it somewhere. And I'm like, okay, so he must have, like, misunderstood something. And I said, where did you hear it? He said, oh, in this dream I had. <laughs> so, uh -huh. so I, 
thing. So I'm 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 in for some like let's make some nonsense make some sense situation. I So just want that. I just want, did you know, to be our fortune <laughs> cookie this week. you know that pop kernels are so yummy and sweet that some, some people eat them as treats for birthday boys. <laughs> It's funny you've heard it so many times because that's not something you should just be able to say verbatim Yeah, because it yeah. makes no sense. A tough legacy to swallow, but <laughs> a tougher pill to follow. I kind of like it. okay, I was going to add something about sweet, sweet kernels, but I like it. A tough legacy to swallow, but a tougher pill to follow. I like it because it could be literal, like... It's a very tough pill to have a vibrating microchip pill, like literally <laughs> literally the legacy to swallow of these things. But like, yeah. but then but then the tougher pill to follow is like but what's coming next <laughs> like what are what are we gonna do with all of these memory like what's gonna happen like the laugh track went away like will it just Yeah. be robots laughing next because Well, we're well, rehiring no, but you anybody made you made me really scared when you're like, it's too much TV, right? And it's not too much TV because the content capitalism says we need that too much TV. The problem is there's not enough viewers. So I'm like, you have a laugh track. Surely there's going to be some sort of like AI viewing viewer track. I don't know. Um, if it, it makes sense. Are we going to do that one? I mean, this is the fever dream episode. Yeah, a tough legacy to swallow, but a tougher pill to follow. Love I feel it. like I feel like it fits the vibe. It fits the vibe so much. Thanks, Catherine. Michelle. No. I'm Kevin. Okay. Well, we're going on summer break We for will the summer. be back for too long. We'll wait and see how the moves get settled and We have a date, but I'm with you, Michelle, I'm not going to say it I'm not going because to say then we're it. beholden to it. We don't But want so to, you we know, want a we, non-beholden summer is what we want, but, but but we will we be do, back is what we want we you have to a know. plan. Yes, we have a plan. but we may not hold ourselves accountable to that plan but you know we're do you really think at this point we're not at least getting to 50 we're both going to do this till we die so on that note i'm going to say goodbye for the summer see you in australia as the hologram in the future past the future past <laughs> <laughs> bye goodbye